Does advanced care planning really make a difference? You are listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is attorney Nathan A. Kotkamp, a healthcare attorney with the law firm of McGuire Woods in Richmond, Virginia, and founder and chair of National Healthcare Decisions Day 2008. Mr. Kotkamp, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you. It's great to be here. What led to your interest in healthcare law? Well, I started out my younger life thinking I was going to be a pediatrician and got to organic chemistry and decided that that was a mistake. I fell in love with ethics and went to law school intending to be a clinical ethicist at a research hospital or something like that, but also found out that I really liked healthcare law. So I graduated with my JD as well as a master's in medical ethics and the passion for this topic has never left me. What types of ethics crisis calls do you receive from healthcare facilities on a regular basis? The most typical one that we receive is a patient who is perhaps in a terminal condition, but certainly in a condition in which he or she cannot speak for himself. And beyond that, there are two variables. One is there is no known family, and there's no advanced directive, there's no indication whatsoever as to the patient's healthcare wishes. And the other variant, which is equally complicated, is, again, none of the information that would guide us is available, but there are multiple family members, and they can't agree amongst themselves how it is that their loved one needs to be cared for. Can you summarize your best advice when you have the latter situation with multiple family members who can't agree and the patient can't speak for themselves? Yes, it would be prevent it from happening in the first place with an advanced directive. And by advanced directive, we're talking about both designating an agent for healthcare decision making as well as a living will, which speaks to healthcare choices in the event of a terminal condition. Give us some statistics. How many Americans have an advanced directive? The statistics vary, but most indicators point to about 20% of the American population. Is this number increasing? It doesn't seem to be, frustratingly enough, and hopefully National Healthcare Decisions Day will help change that. And tell us a little bit about National Healthcare Decisions Day. Well, National Healthcare Decisions Day, there's more information about this on our webpage, which is www.nationalhealthcaredecisionsday.org, is summed up on the webpage as being an initiative that is a collaborative effort of national, state, and community organizations committed to ensuring that all adults with decision-making capacity in the United States have the information and opportunity to communicate and document their healthcare decisions. And not on the webpage, but in addition to that, one of the things that is very much a part of this that we're hoping to improve is the degree to which physicians and other providers and facilities, as well as family members, are following through on wishes that have been documented. And and sometimes that's a matter of just knowing what they are, and other times it's a matter of standing up for a patient's choices. What's your best advice for physicians regarding advanced care planning? I would say talk about it early and often. It's one of those topics that I think the the general public and and probably the provider community as well tends to think of advanced directives as being documents that are really limited to end-of-life choices. And the reality is that that's the most prevalent circumstance in which they will apply. But talking about advanced healthcare planning choices, even when people don't have chronic illness or something like that, It's a way to enhance your practice. It's a way to get to know your patients better. And granted, it does take time, but it's one of those exercises that 
I think oftentimes saves much more time on the back end. If your listeners have been through an ethics consult, you know how time-consuming that is, and dealing with those kinds of situations that could have been prevented by having patients document their wishes much earlier on is one way to, to improve practices all around. Another thing that physicians, I would imagine, would be interested in is knowing that they could actually have the potential to improve their reimbursement from CMS. Documenting advanced directives conversations with patients is included in the list of quality indicators in the Physician Quality Reporting Initiative. How many patients with advanced directives have received input from their physician in its development? You know, I've seen a few studies on this, and I think the studies are not necessarily complete, but I think the answer is not many, quite frankly. I can tell you that anecdotally, in my experience, the answer, again, is not many. Even some of the indicators about patients who are uh, chronically ill suggest that even those patients don't have advanced directives much more with much more prevalence than the rest of the, the national population. And I think that's an indicator that their physicians aren't talking to them about it. So I think the answer is not many. What resources are available for listeners and consumers to learn more about advanced care planning? Well, if you go to the National Healthcare Decisions Day.org website, you will find a variety of information for providers and facilities. There are ways to organize your community and take action. We've given a long list of ideas for how to participate in National Healthcare Decisions Day, things that have worked here in Virginia where we've done this type of event for two years in a row, as well as in other states that have been doing this for years. There's also a link on the left where it says, Get an Advanced Directive, and there are a number of web pages that have national materials. Many of them have state-specific materials on advanced directives. We are not trying to guide people to any particular model, but instead have offered a variety of resources for people. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me is attorney Nathan Kotkamp, a healthcare attorney with the law firm of McGuire Woods in Richmond, Virginia, discussing advanced care planning. Mr. Kotkamp, do you recommend a power of attorney for healthcare document over a living will? Hopefully people will execute both. But if you're asking me to choose, I really am one of the folks that believes that a power of attorney is the better of the two documents. The major limitation on a living will is that, first of all, it's in most states limited to decision-making with respect to end-of-life terminal condition type of care. There are plenty of patients that need decision-making that are not in terminal condition. These can be healthy patients who find themselves in a car accident and are in a coma, for example. I think the other major limitation of a living will is it is just a piece of paper. And it's a piece of paper that can't have actual conversations with caregivers. It is limited in that respect. And by designating an agent, you have someone who can talk to the physicians and to the nurses and to the social workers and everybody else that's part of a patient's healthcare team to really know what is the circumstance and how is it that you think that patient would react given their beliefs, their desires, their religious background, their personal ethics, whatever it is that motivates and drives them in their lives. How do you respond to loved ones, family members who may say, I could never pull the plug on, on my loved one because what if they woke up like they do on TV or I've heard about in the news lately? Well, 
I think a major part of that is being sure that physicians are being good in their communication with those family members and helping to demonstrate really what the actual patient's condition is. I think one of the things that we see in ethics consults routinely is that it's not necessarily really an ethics conflict, that there's been poor communication, that there's just been misunderstanding about a patient's true prognosis. But I think this is another example and an opportunity for patients to solve the problem at the front end. And I think it's one of those things where you shouldn't be designating an individual who, if your desire would be to have the plug pulled, and there are plenty of patients that would want that. There are plenty of patients that would never want the plug pulled. But regardless of what your choice is, by talking to who it is that you're proposing to designate as your agent and telling them what your wishes are, it's also a good time to just point blank ask that person, will you be willing to carry through with these wishes if you are placed in that position? And I think people would be surprised by how frank loved ones can be in responding to that. I think there are plenty of people who say, you know, I will be there at your bedside praying for you, holding your hand, doing whatever is necessary, but please don't ask me to make decisions for you because I just won't be able to do it. I, I won't have the emotional strength. And obviously that's someone that you should not be designating as your power of attorney. I think the answer there is having the communication beforehand. It's not a good idea to designate someone and not tell them that they've been designated. We see that more often than I care to admit. So that's the best way to prevent that problem. How do you handle the case of estrangement when the advanced care planning process is taking place? In other words, a patient says to you, well, I don't want this family member involved, so I don't even want them to know I have this advanced directive because I trust these other family members, so I just want to act like they don't exist. That is a delicate one, and it has happened. I will tell you that there's really no uniform response to that. It depends on a case-by-case basis. In some cases, the patient has actually put in their advanced directive, put it in writing that they don't want any sort of communication going to certain individuals in their family. And certainly when it's in writing, we absolutely respect that. Sometimes it's a matter of just the personal relationships that there are parent and the rest of the family, and we just try and negotiate them as best we can. That's, that's more of the art of ethics consults than anything else. Mr. Kotkamp, thank you so much for joining us to discuss the importance of advanced care planning. Well, thank you for having me. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions at ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of the ReachMD library. Thank you for listening.